Welcome to Extra Musical, the podcast where we delve into the lives, thoughts, creative process, and hobbies of musicians and other creative artists. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit www.hiddencinemarecords.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast and everything else going on at HCR, become a patron at www.patreon.com slash hiddencinemarecords. Today, we're joined by Jennifer Wharton. She's a low brass specialist based in New York City, and though she got her start classically, Jenna's planted deep roots in jazz and commercial music. She can usually be found honking out low notes in a Broadway pit, a recording studio, or on stage in a big band section. You can find out more about Jen from our show notes, but for now, let's get to the interview. Hi, Extra Musical listeners. You just heard a little bit about Jen Warden up front, but now we're in the actual interview. So, like, hi, Jen. Thanks for being on the show. Hello. (laughs) So, uh, Jen, uh, for the listeners who might not know anything about you, they're coming in in green. Uh, Who are you? Like, what's your story? Where? What do you do? Where are you based? I am literally a superhero. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's my origin story. Uh, I am based in New York City. I live in Queens. I am mostly a Broadway musician, but I play a ton of big band, and I'm the leader of Bonegasm, Jennifer Wharton's Bonegasm. It's crazy. I forget that, like, that is your, like, not full-time. Well, yeah, full-time, because that's what you do, like, most nights, that, that you're a Broadway musician. You were playing on... West Side Story, I think, when we right before the pandemic. Yes, uh, West Side Story. And since then, I've done a show called Paradise Square. And right now I'm doing Sweeney Todd. Oh, my God. How's Sondheim's uh, trombone writing? Is it does he do the book, too? Or is it um, does he do so books? He, he did the I think he did everything except for orchestration. Oh, OK. Um, and uh, I mean, it's amazing. We're doing the original orchestration. And like most productions, we cut out my favorite part, which is um, the uh, judge's mea culpa. It's like him self-flagellating and climaxing on stage. So most productions cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's really good music. So if you you have a chance, check that out. But um, yeah, it's it's great. The trombone writing, because there's three of us in the orchestra, it's not super extensive. It's not hard. It's loud. It's like death murder trombones. Uh, But... Uh, otherwise I have a lot of downtime in the show. I get a lot of stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like bring a laptop and just like, uh-huh. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's crazy. To, well, like, no one can see me. I'm actually, I'm underneath the audience. The conductor can't see me that the person sitting next to me sees me and probably hates that I'm on my laptop all the time, but. <laughs> I, get I applied for two grants. I did. I do most of my emailing from you, the pit. I think you actually got uh, one of the grants that I was interested in uh, recently. The um, the new jazz works for Chamber of Music America. I got artistic projects. Artistic projects. Well, congratulations. Mm-hmm. The grant writing is extensive and requires a lot of documentation. And for those yes. at home who have never written a grant before, uh, you have to justify a lot of things sometimes. And it's just like please pick me. <laughs> so congratulations. Well, thank you. And and it's something that sometimes musicians don't think about when you're in school. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I got to be this amazing musician. But then there's this administrative side to it. Once you have your own project, which I wasn't even aware of. Cause I created the projects kind of later in my career. And um, yeah, it's, you have to have like these real life writing skills and yeah. Yeah. 
I just like I don't because I, I went through a Muse Ed program, so like entrepreneurial things weren't anything written into my curriculum, but I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that that wasn't in our music performance curriculum anyways. So like to think that that it's become like a big portion of being a working musician and band leader specifically, like, yeah. And, and it's changed so much since I was in school, you know, when I was in school, they're like, Hey, take this tape of your playing to, you know, uh, <laughs> Now it's it's much more sophisticated, but also much more saturated with um, with like all kinds, like really good and really bad uh, music. So it's difficult. It's difficult to break through the sea. It's it's kind of like that feeling. I imagine that people that are jazz presenters or you know bookers at wherever they they sort of feel like that feeling when we all turn on all the streaming services we have and can't find a thing to watch. Like you you just, you don't want to sink your teeth into anything really. Nothing looks good on the face of it. So our job as musicians becomes marketing, which none of us got into music to be marketing ourselves, but you can see there's a lot of people that have a natural talent for it. Um, I have a little bit of talent for it, but nowhere near some of the younger folks that are coming up. So it's, it's really impressive. I feel like there's some musicians who I really admire for just the way they can translate their personality into modern marketing and just modern internet personas. Uh, what's that one girl, Kellen Hanas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like every time I see anything she does on like TikTok or Instagram, I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like this is a, she's like a little little comedic genius, and she's she she's super fun in person too. She's yeah. I mean I've only met her like not hung with her for any period of time, but I've met her a few times and she's just lovely. I've only had I've only had the opportunity to meet her once. She was going to play on the same big band gig that we did uh, like last year sometime, uh, and then she ended up not being able to do it. But it was like. Man, I would have loved to hang out with her because she seems hilarious. That's yeah, like, yeah. yeah if, it, if your internet persona comes off as hilarious in person, you might just be even more hilarious or extremely introverted. I feel like it's one <laughs> of the one of the two. Um, so uh, we, you mentioned uh, bonegasm. For the people who don't know what that is, it's an interesting it's not thing. porn. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not porn. Okay, so <laughs> this is not a porn podcast. It could be, but it's not. Okay, so what is bonegasm? Bonegasm is a band that I formed in 2017 um, out of sort of the uh, feeling that I had that composers, unless they were trombone players, didn't really know what to do with trombones a lot. And (laughs) I mean, you know, it's a thing. And especially, you know, I can't tell you how often I'm just playing whole notes (laughs) or people don't think that we can play soft. So they throw a mute in, you know, and Trombone players, we can play soft, we can play loud, we can play beautifully, we can play ugly. You know, we have this wide range. So I wanted to um, make, like, force composers into a box and see what they could do with just trombone and rhythm section. And um, it, it sort of satisfied this this craving for me. I always wanted to have a trombone quartet when I was just, like, a straight-up classical musician. And getting into the jazz thing and, and really putting my big girl pants on and learning to improvise later in life, which is, I don't recommend that. I recommend everybody (laughs) learn to do it when they're younger. It's a lot easier. Um, 
but yeah, so we, we were set up kind of like a classical ensemble where we would commission works from these composers record it. And then as, uh, time went on, like the second album was partially funded by a New York foundation of the arts. Oh. Um, the third album was chamber music America. So they, they saw some value in what we were doing and we were getting good results. I feel like the music is pretty freaking incredible. Yeah. And I want to change not only the composer's minds on what they can do with the instrument, but also change audiences' minds. Because if you look at many of the hallowed jazz uh, um, groups out there now, unless it's a big band or unless a trombone player is leading the band, there's usually not a trombone player in it. Oh, man. And I want to change that. I mean, look at Artemis, you know? It's famous. What a great group. No trombone. Yeah. Why? Why? Maybe they don't feel like so like a trombone, like a lady trombone player is on their level. Certainly would not be me, but I can think of several people that could do it. Right. And you know, so I'm I I just not to throw shade at them because I think what they're doing is important and they're amazing. But I I think there are people that could hang, and I I wish that they had considered the trombone. It's like instrumental inclusivity. Like we're still yeah. here. We, we exist and we can play so many different. I've, I've been guilty of that so many times. Uh, make uh, trombone know. great again. Right. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, no. I mean, I'd rather it be a porn podcast than that. Oh, Jesus. I did make, make I made one shirt like as a test. It said bonegasm, trombones, not porn. <laughs> And I gave it to Sarah Giacobino. I haven't seen her wear it yet. <laughs> oh, gosh. So the crazy part about uh, the bone, when Bonegasm first started is, like, your merch thing is, like, you. So I don't know if you guys uh, have, uh, have followed uh, Jen before, but, like, she makes just, like, funny shirts uh, for Bonegasm. Funny merch I, in general. I think uh, it's probably one of the biggest non-musical reasons that I started this band was so I could have merch. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, especially with the name Bonegasm, because yeah. it's just like it's. This is about uh, a, a, a big O of trombones. It's not yeah. sexual at all, even though the name is very sexual. It's oral pleasure. It's all, yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> we, we want we want each piece to come to a climax of some sorts. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but but in general, I mean, like the 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 four trombones up front is I have, I, are there any other groups like that? Like, yeah, there have been. Um, uh, so there's one that, that, um, was active, more active in the nineties. I want to say New York trombone conspiracy that I had one of my favorite bass trombone players of all time. Um, who's, you know, still very active. Uh, Jeff Nelson. He's amazing. Oh yeah. Jeff Nelson. Um, okay. Yeah, and uh, I think Pete McGinnis and maybe Bruce Iden was in. I can't remember because I don't. I don't own that album. I think my husband does somewhere, but um, I know they were active. There's also uh, four freshmen had five trombones. Um, uh, is it Shaney Rainbolt with that stuff with um, uh, Antonio Garcia? Is that I might be misremembering? But we could have a whole podcast called Jen Misremembers, but. Um, <laughs> There's there's four trombone stuff there. I mean, and the the idea of groups of trombone players goes all the way back to Gabrielli. I mean, we were church music for a long time. Yeah. So um, it's there's a lot of history there that probably people aren't aware of, and it does seem like um, 
I remember this because Dan, the, the journalist, Dan Belowski, he said this in the review of my first album. He's like on, on the, you know, um, at first glance, it might seem like a novelty, but the music argues successfully against that. So that's why I named my second album. Second album not a novelty. novelty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you said, started that sentence. It's like, Oh, I wonder if that was, Oh, okay. She's finishing uh, the sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, it's just like an interesting setup. It's not necessarily one that's <laughs> has a lot of literature for it. So, I mean, like you're not only like pioneering, like, putting that out there, but then now you're adding to the literature that makes it feasible to happen over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, trombone players are always playing with each other. It's just like built in. We're always in an ensemble. Like there's rarely people that go out and have successful careers as trombone soloists. They're in the jazz world. I mean, like John does it. Marshall Jilks does it. There are people that do it a lot. And, and there's like a whole spectrum of how much they do it. Um, but typically we're playing with other trombone players. Yeah. Um, trombone choir. I've seen a lot of, but yeah, not necessarily yeah. like, yeah, the, 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 the solo chamber aspect. So it's really cool to just see this solo, um, like jazz, uh, not quartet. Is it, a, is it a septet technically? Is there guitar? I can't it's remember. It's a septet. So, okay. So just, but sometimes we have percussion, which, um, I've been considering like just adding him, as a, as a regular member, but, uh, I haven't gotten there yet. I just, I really love Samuel Torres's playing. Um, so, you know, I hopefully I can get him to write for us. Band. Oh Am God. I crazy? Yeah. I think yeah. I wouldn't saw his big band in Queens. Oh, oh I was there. Oh yeah. I yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Oh man. I listened to Alegria like I think 17 times after that, uh, because that one, it like got me through days. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was, it's he just, just got his one. masters at MSM in classical composition. So I I'm like, hate every single one of you people who like have these super killing projects. And then you're like, yeah. And I just went to grad school, man. F all you guys. Cause you're one of them. <laughs> Didn't you just finish your masters? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you guys are just you, you were like, oh, I'm going to do my undergrad and then I'm going to absolutely murder the game. Uh, from uh from all that so like with all that in mind with you being on broadway uh uh doing all all of your trombone playing freelance what is what is a typical like week 
I would say day, but I feel like day is never the right answer. No. Um, and honestly it, it changes. Someone asked me what my schedule was and I'm like, how much time do you have? Because the only things that are regular are the show and my teaching. But even that sometimes like I had to move all my students at one school because of this gig we did last night in Baltimore with Darcy's band. So, um, you know, even that is a little mobile. Um, and thankfully like the students understand because the students want to be doing what, you know, all of us teachers, adjunct teachers are doing, but they also see that we have to have all these streams of, of income to, you know, really make it work here in New York city. So, um, typically I'm, I might have a day off, but not usually, usually that day off is Monday. Tuesdays I teach. I don't have a show on Tuesday nights. Um, Wednesday I have two shows, but, um, sometimes I'm working out in the morning. Sometimes I'm doing something like this. Sometimes I have to practice. Occasionally I have to practice. Um, (laughs) Thursdays can be anything. Like sometimes it'll be a rehearsal. Sometimes I'll have free time during the day. Sometimes I'll get a chance to do my laundry. (laughs) And uh, Fridays I'm teaching all day from 1130 to five. And then I go in for a seven o'clock show. And, uh, a lot of that time I should mention that it sounds like I have a lot of free time, but I'm commuting a lot. So my trip into town is like door to door, perfect scenario, 45 minutes. Um, worst case scenario, an hour and a half. I was like, what's a nightmare? Oh gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, you never know what's going to happen with the subway. So everybody tends to leave like twice the amount of time that they need. Um, and then you get to the show, you get to warm up, you get to hang out, shoot the shit. Um, but yeah, so and then my commute to school is is at least an hour because it's in um, New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. So if I take the train, it's two hours. But if I drive, it's an hour. Um, yeah, so it's 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 a lot. It's a lot, and sometimes I'm very exhausted, and sometimes I really love the slog. So you know, it's it's a combination of things. I think every freelance musician is trying to find a work life balance that makes sense. And it's hard because we're taught from such an early age to never say no to anything. Yeah. And then you have like FOMO about gigs. I can remember like getting really pissed about a gig that I wasn't on. And then I realized, oh, I had been asked to do it and said no. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I could have been on this actually. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't even that I wanted to do the gig. It's just that I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to be considered for the gig and I was, I just forgot about it. <laughs> oh man. There's a, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, to be fair, I mean, you're like one of the top call. Was it a big band trombone gig? Yeah. 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 Cause I feel like when it comes to like big band, uh, bass trombone, funny enough, it's a whole bunch like female trombone is Oh, like come to mind mostly for me besides like, uh, Nelson. Yeah. Like it's you, uh, is it, isn't Becca Patterson a bass trombonist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is you Becca Patterson? Uh, Sarah Giacovino in my mind is a lead trombonist. Uh, does she play? She bass does play some bass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I have her in my phone as bass trombone too. And there's like one more person. Where I'm like, yeah, Chad Ingle. Yeah. I'm like, there's this is like bass trombone is like in my mind. If I'm like building a band, I'm like, well, what a change. What a change though. Cause when I was coming up, change, I didn't, though. I didn't know any. Yeah. Yeah. I but barely then, knew any, uh, lady trombonist period. Oh so, no. Yeah. The majority of trombonists in my phone in New York city 
are female <laughs> trombonists. Uh, so I have like you, that roster, and then like Sam. Uh, I don't know your husband, but I'd love to have him in a big band. Uh, yeah, it was like I don't really. Uh, the people who I like saw on things over and over were like you and uh, other people. So I was just like, Oh, let me contact those people first. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I like it. I want, well, like as a, as like a black male uh, leading a big band, it's really Wait, disconcerting. You're black. <laughs> <laughs> it's disconcerting for the listeners at home. I'm African American. Uh, <laughs> it's disconcerting when I'm leading a big band full of white dudes. Like it's yeah. just like it's just like for me, I'm just like I look like I'm the one out of place in my big band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. And I I have the same feeling because my band is all dudes and I'm a lady, and. And that was kind of, uh, we're putting out for, for listeners that don't know, we're putting out our third album this month, October. And, um, I've asked myself several times, like, why would I do that? It's because for me, it's always been that way. Like until, you know, the last 10 years, it's always been me as the only chick Mm -hmm. in the band. So it doesn't seem foreign to me until someone else brings it up. And, um, and so I, I crafted my band with like just musicians I was close with and of course they're all dudes. So I said, okay, well, how can I, how can I make a difference? How can I still be supportive? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm a woman leading a band, which is, is great for, you know, young women in jazz, maybe young bass Ramon players, you know, Mm. to, to see brass players definitely. And so how can I support more? How can I, I make more of a statement? So I hired just women to write for the, for the album, for the third album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, who are those composers? Because I know Vanessa Perica is one. I think we had talked about your album uh, when I did her interview. Um, I I don't I don't remember who else besides that. Miho Hazama. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, Carolina Calvace, which I don't know if you know her. So, mm-hmm. I was I met her many years ago when she was dating a trombonist, um, but she's a pianist a composer. And, um, she had written a couple of classical things for him and then someone recommended her to me. So I went online and I started checking her out and she's a jazz pianist that was just writing classical stuff. So her classical stuff oh. is pretty hip. And, uh, so I contacted her and she was like, yeah, totally. She used to write for the trombone choir at North Texas. So oh, I fun. said, Oh my God, you're going to be perfect. And her piece is beautiful. Um, we also asked Nadia Nordhaus. Yeah. Okay who, um, you know, it's funny. I've known Nadia a long time and she's one of my closest friends in New York. And she, I was prepared for her to do something like she does with her band, sort of very like melody driven, beautiful. Um, and she did (laughs) a new Orleans song for me to sing about the condiments at a restaurant that we love. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like second line condiment song. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, great. Okay. And I feel like I'm forgetting someone. I think I left someone out. Let me look. I have to. Oh, my God. And I just found out this is a total non sequitur. Smokey Robinson's latest album is called Gasms. And it's exactly what you think. Oh, oh, gosh. And that is that is on many levels disturbing. (laughs) I'm 80 years old. We're about to. (laughs) Yes. Uh, so I, I finally, uh, the, 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 the other woman that we asked to write is, um, Natalie Cressman. 
I don't know so, Natalie Christmas either. Okay, so you probably wouldn't just because she's she sort of lives in the jam band scene, but she's also a vocalist. Okay. And she's been touring the world with her um, Brazilian uh, fiancé who plays guitar, so they do a lot of Brazilian I'm music. I'm about to look this up on Instagram. I feel oh, like she's I, amazing. She's I an know. amazing player. Um, and I didn't know if she wrote a lot, but she does. And, uh, she wrote this Brazilian vibe tune called Menina Sozinha. Pardon me, I have to cough. (laughs) And, um, yeah, it was great. It was great. And it was, it was a drag because I hadn't thought about her for some reason. And someone dropped out. I was going to ask Courtney Wright, who's a very Courtney. Yeah, but she was too busy, so um, so I asked Natalie, and she did it kind of quickly. It was actually really good, so and that was amazing. And then I wrote a couple things. John arranged two of them. One was a surprise. I didn't know he was going to do it, but I was like, oh, my God, this is the first tune on the album, totally. And uh, that's a tune called Be Normal, which if, if your listeners like the YouTube, there's a YouTube video of our studio recording of Be Normal. Oh, cool. And, um, then we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I did an arrangement of a Mexican traditional song and I did an arrangement of a, of a Dick Oates tune and I think that's it. I think that's everything. Yeah. Man. I mean, it's really cool to just see like the community that you've built around your project. I mean, like it's, I don't know. I feel like when I uh, see the birch out there and it's like kids with their like bone gasm pencil and they're like, I got, I came to the show. I got my bone gas. It's like, it's really important for people to see one that we can be like fun and funny when we're like making these bands Two, like that. This band is like a valid instrumentation and we can have like works committed for, uh, or like commissioned for it. And then like three, look at all the people we commissioned that didn't look like what you usually see when someone's like our commission. And it's like, yeah. Hey, and if there's, it's like, there's space for everyone. It's like a, uh, not a, an abundance mindset of commissions. It's not that they, we're, choosing those people in spite of or instead of it's like we're choosing those people because they are also there and they and we all need represented so that's really cool what is the name of the album i don't even remember the name of the third album it's called grit and grace oh yeah the tattoo of course yeah the the jen designed that tattoo temporary tattoo (laughs) temporary tattoo when i saw that picture when i saw that promo picture i was like did she get a tattoo for this album? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you said, uh, did Jen Hinkle design that one? Like yeah, a temporary yeah. tattoo? Man, the female trombone, uh, like, sisterhood goes deep. You guys are like, let me design. I, I got you. I'll help the marketing. Like, <laughs> You know, I have to say, though, um, uh, when I when people first started moving to New York that played bass trombone, like women, I... I was like prepared to hate them because, um, oftentimes, and I'm not sure, I I know there's a lot of parallels with, um, people of color and, um, and women in the brass arena and sometimes in the Broadway arena and sometimes in jazz. But, um, it was, I, you're treated like a unicorn. So you're, you're taught there can only be one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's not enough space for, for more than one. Yeah. And it would be this thing where like, people that had never spoken to me about another bass trombone player will come up to me and I don't know their purpose. I don't know. I don't know why, what was behind the decision to do this, but they would tell me, Oh yeah. So-and-so is playing this gig. 
and just like wait for my reaction. And, and I was like, why are, are you, can I, can I swear? You can, I, I try and avoid the F word. Okay. That's about it. Are you effing with me? Like, <laughs> is this, is this like really like, why is this happening? You've never mentioned any of these amazing bass drum players that live here and work here. Yeah. But you're like, you're doing this because she's female and because you're waiting like cat fight or something. It was yeah. really weird. So I had to fight this urge to hate them all. Um, and I did successfully. <laughs> no, no, but I, it was I, rough. There's a, a thriller horror show. Uh, thriller thriller drama show called The Other Black Girl on Hulu that I really want to watch that like explores that premise yeah. uh, where she's like the only black person at this job and then there's this other black girl hired yeah. and they're like assumed that they're going to be friends right away. It's kind of like, well, no, they I think they do become friends right away. So it's like this interesting thing where it's like every, there's space for everybody. There's not there's not that with like the majority in a field. No one's like, did you hear Jim's playing this thing? Yeah, the reaction. And they're like, okay, cool. It's a I'm we're, we have gigs. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember I interviewed Sarah Jacovino for an article that I wrote, and um, and she was like, it's really cool because you know New York, there's space for everybody. Um, and she's right. I, and I'm sorry. Like, I feel, I feel like a terrible person because my initial reaction was to put up all my guards and, um, and hate, but that was, you know, it was an interesting thing to learn about myself. And it's something that I've definitely been better about. And now I'd like to say that we're, if we're not friends, we're all at least friendly colleagues. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's always a good that's always a good thought. Cause I mean, like, can you be friends with everybody anyways? Like I, I try like, so hard. It, the, <laughs> the thought of someone hating me really oh, just, not even, not even my that. like, I just like, I feel like we're very quick to use the word. That's my friend. And it's like, are they, aren't you like, just like uh, aware of each other and nice towards each other. But like, are you going to call each other and be like, Hey man, I'm going through a rough spot. Like that's what, Right. Like I, I know there's like some people uh, who would you would do that who you are also colleagues with. Like they're your friend. Some people I don't want to do that to me. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, hey man, can I call you back and never call them back? (laughs) (laughs) So like, um, when you're thinking out like outside of of music you're you're like i the only thing i associate you with is music so like outside of music is there anything that like you do or like or um i don't know have as a portion of your life that isn't music related or has become music related it's like it feeds into your process but it really is this extra musical thing so I'm not sure if you watched any of our videos. Uh, oh, question my of the day. oh my John gosh. Oh my gosh. Please tell Shane me. <laughs> I, I think when I first met you, I was like, I love those videos. Those videos <laughs> were like one of the most hilarious things in the pandemic. That yeah. and then Marshall Gilk's. Uh, oh, online trombone lessons. <laughs> <laughs> or the, like the overdub he would do of himself, like in the studio. Like, oh, that, those were hilarious. Yeah, you. I don't know. New York trombone players. You guys need to open up a comedy club. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, so, well, you know, um, I got way into I, 
I had forgotten how much I loved cooking. So the pandemic actually brought that out again. So I, I cook a lot. Um, I am a great baker, but I try not to, unless it's for a purpose because one, it takes a lot of time, but also, um, I'm fat. (laughs) Someone has to eat the baked good. It's going to be me. Yeah. And I got way into cocktails in the pandemic as well as most people drank their way (laughs) through the pandemic. Oh my gosh. Did you have one of those days where you were like, when's the last time I didn't drink? Oh, I'm still asking myself. Yeah, no, I'm I, kidding. I, I it's not that, that bad, but <laughs> it was that bad for me. I had a day like it was like maybe right before we went back to school full time. So it was like fall 2021. And I was like, when's the last time I didn't drink? Yeah. Oh, this is not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, that's something you have to be careful of because I don't know what the, if there's any data on this, but there's a lot of recovered addicts that are musicians. Yeah. So I think we self-medicate because we're so self-critical. Um, and it's such a social thing at most of these gigs and whatever. So yeah, there's a lot of people. So you do have to watch that. And I'm always my, John and I, my husband are very, um, honest with each other. We're like, maybe we should take a couple days off. Yeah. I mean, especially in the gigging where like I, I do gigs like in spurts because I don't live in a metropolitan area. So like I, there's no scene where I live. So I go to the gig and do the gig. So like the people like you who are gigging all the time, like every day, Mm -hmm, like I can mm -hmm. imagine like, it's like, okay, well it's Monday. So I don't feel like it, like feel like drinking tonight because it's like, but like when I go, I'm like, hell yeah, I'll have a beer. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's Friday. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And in New York, you're not driving. So it's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if you put a New Yorker uh, in any other town, they'd be considered an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> You put but a here, New in Cleveland, they're drinking. like, hey, man, you okay? You've had yeah. five beers. It's like, yeah, I have to warm up soon. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, there's that. Um, for a long time, when I was pretty dark on music, I was doing triathlons. Oh, yeah, um, I do remember that. Mm-hmm. I was doing those um, for good uh, maybe 2004 through 2016. I yeah. did like nine half Ironmans and two Ironmans. I did my first marathon was in an Ironman, but my second marathon was uh, the New York City Marathon. So I've done that. I've done a couple half marathons, Philadelphia, New York City. Um, I think one other. But yeah, I, I love being physical. It's kind of the same reason why I love playing bass trombone. It's kind of like, you know, a workhorse. So um, and, and somebody that has w- had weight issues my whole life, when I realized that my body was strong, I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's <laughs> figure this out. But I've, I've also had some injuries. So, um, I'm prone to like the itises, you know, mm-hmm. tendonitis, whatever. And I had to have a surgery on my hip in 2015 cause I'm not oh. built well. And I had surgery on my shoulder in 2018, which my slide arm. So I was like, when I was diagnosed and I was going through PT, it's kind of around the time that I, um, uh, formed the band. And I just was like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Like, you know, a triathlon. Okay. It's fun, but it's, you know, is this going to wreck my career or whatever? And thank God I didn't have to be out of work for six weeks. They just cleaned it up. It wasn't a full on repair of the tendons, but, um, yeah, then I just really put it, started putting all my eggs into the bone gasm basket. And, um, 
it's it's opened up a door for me that I thought had closed a long time ago in terms of loving music again. Um, I had a really bad experience in in my math my first attempt at the masters, and I just kind of felt dead a lot about music. I wasn't practicing to get better. I was just practicing for the gigs. Um, yeah. And it, it was, it was dark for quite a while and I was unsatisfied and I had a, I had a few talks with some people. One I've mentioned this in interviews before, but I talked to Ingrid Jensen on the phone and she was just like, you need something that's your own. And, uh, it took me a couple of years, but yeah, I did it. You know, there, there are many reasons why I did it, but once I did it, I was like, it felt like the most natural thing in the world. Yeah. Man, it's good to be back in Cleveland. For over three decades, the Bop Stop has served as the home of jazz in Cleveland, featuring everyone from up-and-coming local talent to the legends of jazz. I'm Daniel Peck. Join Gay Pollock and me weekly as we bring you an hour of live jazz directly from our stage on Live at the Bop Stop. But people around the country know how great a club this is. New episodes of Live at the Bop Stop are available every Monday at noon on your preferred podcast provider. Oh, oh, it's it's nice to like look at the third project now, knowing that it's this m- much more important to your yourself. Not like just your identity, but you being like your whole self and in your whole self in music. It's like it's you musically. I sure hope so. I hope it comes off that way because it does feel self-indulgent and sometimes I get embarrassed because, you know, we're supposed to market ourselves, right? Right. We're supposed to get people interested in the band and as a trombone player, that's really harsh because, you know, (laughs) you know, that's kind of why I lean into the silliness of it. But I also, um, I think one of the taglines I've used before is we make serious music, seriously fun. Um, and I, it's usually me bringing the fun element. Like if you've ever, you probably haven't seen us perform live, Mm-mm. but I'm, I'm a ham. So, uh, on the microphone, I'm just like, you know, jazz hands everywhere. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, everyone else is like doing their job and I'm just like, Oh, this is a party. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually the same exact way. That's like, I like, I like the fun element of, uh, of being the front person where you're mm-hmm. like, ooh, what jokes, especially when you have reoccurring gigs back to back to back, like, what jokes can I bring from night to night to night that are mm-hmm. funny to me and see what the reaction is? They're like, have you ever gotten like, you feel like you're bombing a stand up set? And, uh-huh. <laughs> and you're like, all right, let's keep, let's get back to the music. Yeah. Well, usually that's when I'm like, are you guys alive? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what gig it was uh, this past June, but it w- uh, I was like, never mind. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, it was we were in D.C. Um, and uh, we were playing at this uh, restaurant and I had been doing uh, jokes like that whole like connection of gigs. And I just stopped halfway through this gig. I was like, never mind. Not doing them. This isn't this isn't hitting. Yeah, like you're a very funny person, so it's just like I can see you doing that. Even though I haven't seen it, I can see you doing that. Well, I think if you show up to a gig before trombones, there's got to be an element of silliness. Yeah, I, trombones do have that, uh, like <laughs> that stigma. Even like since since middle school band, you guys have had that stigma. You're in the back, like yeah, you're unsupervised. Well, and, and I've had a uh, maybe 
a handful of instances where people are like, oh, I'm not letting my students go hear that band because of the name. And uh, recently, what? Yeah, recently, uh, the person that's doing PR for me, uh, Anne Braithwaite, who's amazing and I can't say enough good things about her, but she said, yeah, someone wrote her back and said, I'm not writing a word about something with the name Bonegasm. And I was just like, okay, I get it. On its face, I get what it looks like. But also, if you play trombone, you've been hearing boner jokes since you picked up the horn. Like You likely participate in them. So for anybody that's familiar with trombone, it's not a huge thing. I do feel bad that people don't want to experience it because it's, it is a really fun band and it's not, you know, like it's trombones, not porn. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can think of like, there's a, a product called eargasm that I've really wished oh, we yeah. could do a cross promotion with. Yeah. Um, there's a store called shoegasm. We walked by a store here in or midtown hairgasm. So it's like, you can gasm anything, but, um, <laughs> jazzgasm, you know, no jazzgasm. Why not? That's the, yeah. that's that stank face that people make when they're having yeah. a good solo. <laughs> uh, so like I, it's for, I don't understand the, I don't know what it, what, what would be the, the word to describe that mindset? Um, not prim and proper. There's a word. Um, I'm, it's escaping me. It's like, uh, like prudish. Yeah. The prudent, the prudish nature of anybody who's listening to jazz music and then going, I can't write about a thing called bogengasm. Anyways, we should go listen to the music of jelly roll Martin. Like, or how about, yeah. how about bitches brew? Like, yeah, right. Exactly. Like, it's like, you can't, you can't you can't create this double standard for music that was originally played in brothels and be like, well, no, it's too it's high society now. Get oh, sorry, damn it, I have to <laughs> get, I have to bleep that out. But like, literally, you get wrecked, dude. Like, you can't. Yeah. It makes no sense to the development of the music. Like, I think too, it, it's more offensive to some people to have a woman saying it. Oh yeah, that's it's not ladylike. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Oh mm-hmm. no, Ew. yeah, I've run into that in other arenas too. Like uh, you know, you have to have a certain. Well, I thought I had to have a certain amount of armor to survive in this business, and it was always like, well, you know, I'm working with all these middle aged, sexually repressed men, so I can hang. If you give me a dirty joke, I'm going to hang. And this was how I had, you know, it actually served me well for the first part of my career. But then Me Too happened, and I was kind of like, well, do I really need to be this way? Like, who would I have been if I didn't think that I had had to Mm -hmm. be that way? I mean, I might have been the same, but, you know, who knows? Um, But, yeah, at at a a show I was working on, it definitely – like, men were talking in a certain way, and I know – They've said things, racial things, um, stuff about women. They have said stuff in my presence, and yet someone complained to the contractor because of what I said. Yeah. So oh. I, I know it was a man, and uh, and they were yeah upset that maybe because I said something they didn't feel like they could say. I don't know. It doesn't matter, but it was just like eye opening and uh, and at least in, in terms of the band, I'm like, if, if you think the name, like if the name turns you off, then this band isn't for you. 
And that's one of the the best lessons I learned when I was back getting my master's in the pandemic is that um, I really didn't have a good time at this, at this school for a number of reasons. But um, one thing I learned is like, okay, if they unsubscribe from my email list, friends unsubscribing, well, yeah, I, I, friends in quotes, <laughs> unsubscribe from my email list. If they, uh, you know, ignore uh, all my messages about gigs, whatever, um, then the band's not for them. Yeah. Uh, I, the mistake musicians make a lot is we're thinking we're marketing to other musicians. Musicians don't want to spend money to come to your gigs in large part because there's so many, you know, yeah. um, and they're not going to probably buy your album. They're going to expect to get it for free because they do like a lot of people do album swaps. Yeah. So they're not spending money on you. So why are you trying to market your product to these people? It's, it's the, dumbest idea that we have about music. So, yeah, I mean, you want it to be valid. You want it to be good. You want them to respect you, but right. I can't, I can't be concerned with how they feel about how I market the band. Um, so if, if they don't like it, okay. Yeah. Also like the, <laughs> how much, how I understand that a lot of the musicians are also the appreciators, but how little of the population are they anyways? If yeah. I want to turn on people to buy music or to music in general, wouldn't it be like mm-hmm. better to not make it all about the the music and the technique of the music? I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. But also back to the to the to the reporting thing. Let's go fight somebody. Like, <laughs> can we do that? Like, can we go back in time and then just meet somebody outside of a bar and it's like this is the list of things you said during this gig. Yeah. Here's what I said. Let's physically fight now. Like, you <laughs> can't get away with it. Uh, you're a supervillain. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I've always been extremely unapologetic about being myself in every situation possible. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to the point where, like, I've getting, uh, my, <laughs> I do a lot of, I went to school at a PWI. I didn't even know what a PWI I was until I started teaching where I teach now, which is uh, a primarily black institution, like, uh, of, of students' uh, population. And uh, I would make a lot of, like, racial jokes about me being the only one in a situation because I was usually the only one in that situation. And my one, uh, uh, computer science teacher just started yelling at me one day and she was like, I'm, I'm Hawaiian. I'm Polynesian. And I don't make that joke all the time. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, that's, that's you. But also we all understand it's a joke and like, maybe we shouldn't be so serious about it. Like it's, a, it's part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Everything well, and it's, okay. it's how you've dealt with that yeah. being the only you know, oh. it's how I dealt with being the only, like, you know, my, my suit of, uh, humor. Right. Um, so, and people don't understand that. And, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's how, like, I've been able to relate a lot to some of the issues that go on on Broadway with, um, you know, um, unless it's a show that's about, you know, when George Takei had, his show, um, they were interested in hiring uh, a boatload of Asian musicians. When Motown came in, then they were interested in hiring black mm-hmm. musicians. But it was it was only when someone was paying attention. And now, post, you know, in the pandemic, there was a lot um, a lot of movement in that direction. So people are more conscious. People are trying to have like half women, half men. People are trying to have a much more diverse 
um, thing. And is it perfect? No, absolutely not. The other system was not perfect either. And when, for the people that say, well, you know, so-and-so only got hired because they're checking a box. I've said this about myself. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, okay. But if you get rehired, then you deserve to be there. Everybody gets hired for a reason, whether you know the conductor, you know, a producer, you're friends with somebody, you know, it's all, everybody is there for a reason on behalf of someone else. Um, the, the, the check in the box thing always rubs me the wrong way. It's like, so then why did you get hired? Like if, if someone, the people who say that, or like, it's the same thing with like affirmative action and scholarships and college placement. it's like, they only got to this college cause blah, blah, blah. It's like, how did you get here? Like, what did you not? Are you a legacy person? Yeah, did your, like, your parents pay a zillion dollars for your you, SAT prep? You know, were you, exactly. were you inherently deserving of this spot mm-hmm. that someone else took from you? Apparently, it had your name on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like it had your name t- tattooed on it, and you were like, "This is mine," and you didn't get it, and you were like, yeah. "Oh, it must be someone else's fault." And it's like, yeah. you know what? Maybe, maybe there was a box being checked, but also maybe the box being checked was like trombonist and we actually looked at the entire friggin' pool rather than just a traditional pool that we're used to working with and being comfortable with and whatever whatever yeah. whatever like uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to talk myself down right now <laughs> yeah but like I can I can see that being a reoccurring issue that like mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're subverting with your with your projects and with your identity like it's it's frustrating that you're just living life and you like break barriers just doing what you want to do it's inspiring but it is also frustrating I would assume it was lonely for a while yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, thinking like, uh, I think one of the possible questions you were talking about was like mentors and mm-hmm. I have to give a shout out, you know, it, it can seem like really easy to beg on all these dudes, but every shot I was given was by a man. Yeah. And, uh, so there, um, you know, there were no women in positions of power to give me uh, shots. And now like, if I can recommend somebody that I think is worthy and hell no, I would not recommend somebody that was not because that makes me look bad and puts them in a bad position. And which sometimes happens, um, because of the whole checking of the box thing, because people are going into it with the wrong intentions. They're going into it. Like, look at how progressive I am. It's all just, you know, it's, um, uh, I forget what it's called. Performative. Yeah. Um, like, I've said multiple times, okay, you have to invest in these people. Like, like sure. Hiring them if, if they're going to be awesome, but if they're not ready yet, don't put them in that position. Cause then they'll never work again. So, um, hire them as subs, encourage people to hire them as subs, like say, Hey, you know, maybe you should consider this person as, as a sub and that that's fine. And I think all of us are more than willing to, you know, be we're all people pleasers ultimately (laughs) when we're being hired for a job. So, um, I think there needs to be more of that. There needs to be systems in place. I've seen a couple of times where people get thrown into the deep end and, and they sink. And, uh, you know, I never want that to happen. And some people, some people I use for subs or for gigs or whatever, maybe I haven't, I don't call as often because I, I want them to have a good experience, you know? 
And, and so that's really important to me. Um, I don't want to, I, I know how bad it feels when you're thrown into the deep end and you're like, God, just let me survive. Yeah. Um, and that's a terrible place to be. So, you know, getting in with the subbing and, and all that, it, it, it's much better way to, to go into the, the workforce here. Uh, I just, I feel like, I don't know if I've ever been in one of those I, other than grad school where I was like, Oh my God, I don't know anything. And I need to learn so much. Uh, like you still feel that way. (laughs) I, I feel like I have the tools necessary to like learn the things though. Like I have the tools necessary to know what I need to practice, to know I need to transcribe all that. When I was, when I was like 22 and was like, I have the degree. And I was like, let's go into a different field. And I was like, Oh my God, I I have no skills whatsoever. What is going on? (laughs) Uh, it's, I, I, it's important to, for people knowing, uh, or wanting to, to represent multiple types of people in their ensembles or in their organizations to know that like, you can't just hire someone and be like, okay, whatever. Like yeah. we did it. We did it, Joe. Like, no, you have to do something. And then like, yeah, uh, I don't know. They can't see it's my kind arms. of like buying a plant and then not watering it and wondering exactly. why it dies. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a good analogy. I always use metaphors when I teach and sometimes I think my students are rolling their eyes, but it's fine. <laughs> I use a lot of sports metaphors and I don't like sports. It's like, not don't like sports. I don't watch sports. So I'll be like, all right, so guys, like, you know, we're, we're, we're on the basketball court and they're just like, Mr. Harvey, why are you? I don't know. I just feel like it's going to, but the watering plants, like getting a plant and what, I don't have any plants because I would forget to water them and that exactly would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't buy things you're going to (laughs) kill. The next time I uh, have a gig with like lots of young musicians on it, I'm going to take a glass of water and I was like, Jen Morton told me to do this. Uh, And just pour it on him. Pour it on every single one. (laughs) And then it was like, this is what she said. And I'll cite you. I'll cite you. It's 100% accurate. my face. Tabasco, smoked chipotle habanero, and pepper sauce. Crystal, Louisiana's favorite hot sauce. Sriracha, hot chili sauce. Fancy tomato ketchup. Blue play real mayonnaise. Heinz yellow mustard. Salt and pepper. So, like, with all this in mind, like, because you're, you're, like, at the beginning of it, it's only been six years at the beginning, I guess, uh, of this, of this bonegasm journey. If you could go back to your, like, 18-year-old self and tell yourself any advice about music, about career, about life in general, what would you give to your 18-year-old self? Oh God, I would, uh, one, tell her to put on her big girl pants and learn how to improvise, 
<laughs> um, I would say just because someone has a teaching gig does not, or just because someone has a good gig in an orchestra or wherever does not make them a good teacher. Mm. And sometimes it doesn't even make them a good human. Yeah. Um, that was my issue with grad school. Um, yeah, be careful who you give your energy to. Um, surround yourself with people that are doing the thing you want and, um, and only people that support you. If they're, if they're tearing you down, if they're making you feel bad, they're not your people. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's, that's all very community based mindsets. Like you're very in not entrenched. Well, entrenched. Yeah. You're very entrenched in, in your community, like your gen community, not just a jazz community, but the community that you built around yourself as like a trombonist as like a a woman in music and then also as just a musician in music like you've built your community and it's i i really i don't want to talk shit about my family but um they were not supportive of my music habit and um i recently just had dinner and and hung out with my um 90 year old high school band director and he changed my life. He was the first adult to believe in something that I wanted to do. And I feel like from that moment on, it was sort of like me collecting my chosen family. Yeah. And I, I feel like even, even trombone players I never see and just only sometimes work with, and maybe we get along, maybe we don't. I feel like we're all part of a family here. And, and most of, most of these musicians, even the trumpet players, most of them are really nice here. Even the trumpet players. Yeah. And it is, um, you know, it, it's, it can be cutthroat and some people are heinous, but I feel for the most part, I belong here. And, um, for, for a long time, I didn't feel like I belonged to my own family, you know, just based on what I wanted to do. So yeah, it is. It's like someone explained to me, there's biological family and logical family and rarely are they the same. Oh, biological and yeah. that's that's a good phrase. It's it's just very interesting um coming from like not ever living in New York uh and then like meeting people who you are like you admire and are slightly intimidated by uh just because of like their careers and like their lives uh that you like the 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 way you perceive them in your mind versus the way they actually are are like mm-hmm. usually two completely different things, just meeting all these people and being like, so every time I put together a big band gig, I usually have like half the band that's very different in New York. And it's only been like three times, but each time I go, I'm like, wow, these pe- the people that I met, including you are like completely different than how I would, uh, not completely different. You're very similar to what I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how I perceived you online, but like, it's, it's a lot less intimidating and more community, yeah. Like everyone gets a, everyone who's on the gig who knows each other is like, oh my gosh, hey man, what's up? And then like the if they don't know the other person, they'll be like, hey, I'm this person, blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. Like, mm-hmm. what you what are you like? Blah blah blah. And it's like just really cool to, I don't know, see that community uh, large wise, and then to hear people talk about their like smaller communities that all interact together. Yeah, and it's fun too because. Um... Like you'll play a show with somebody and then not see them for nine years. And then even though you're working like within a couple blocks and you'll hear about them and you'll, you'll see them on the internet, whatever. And then you'll see them again. It'll be like, no time has passed. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and then, um, someone told me it was about radio city when radio city used to have like, like a permanent orchestra, you didn't have to audition and, and people had chairs or weren't two people per chair like now, but they would be like, they, they play the season and they'd be like, what, I don't know, 10 months off. And then they come back for the, and, and someone, they'd ask, how's your day off? It's been 10 months, but it feels like it's just been a day. Oh, that, I mean, I, I've, I don't know. I wonder if that's how like the German, uh, like the European big bands feel when mm. they like have their time off. I've always wondered what it would be like to be in that sort of, or like even people in military bands who are like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. just with each other all the time yeah. over and over like that little small community of, of being in one band all the time. Cause like, that's not how it works for you guys at all. Like, nah. You're, you have your band, but, I mean, can you count on one sheet the amount of places you've played? Well, you have to for tax purposes. But, like, the <laughs> amount of places or people you've played for in a year? No. Yeah. No. It would just be, like, an ever-flowing list. Imagine if you had to uh, tabulate the the amount of entities you've played for. Oh, every time meeting. I have to rewrite my bio, I'm like, I'm forgetting all these people. I just hope they never read it so they're not offended. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> I, uh, the funny story. So I did King Kong before the pandemic. So it was like 2018, closed in 2019. It was a Broadway show, King Kong. Um, not about the show, but so <laughs> I used, we're allowed to have five subs. And um, I used somebody that I literally have no recollection of using. <laughs> And people have confirmed it. Like I've talked to people about, <laughs> about this. Cause I was like, I don't remember this at all. Like I barely, I barely remember speaking to this person, but apparently I use it. And, and the same thing for the show that I did last year, I used people. I have no recollection of using none. How does and that even work? Like, I think I just, you know, my, my little pea brain has limited <laughs> space. So, <laughs> If I have to remember that, it's going to push out something I need to remember. So I just like let it in and out. It just takes, you know, a very quick trip through the old noodle and then it's gone. It's gone. There's no hope of getting it back. <laughs> You're just like, ah, uh, uh, the, 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 the conversation's over and all right. We all, we all understand what's happening and I'm no longer needed for this. And yeah. it's gone. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's how I feel about things that I say in the classroom, uh, where like a kid will be like, no, you remember you said this? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then someone, kids will like have a quote list of like, random quotes that I say or have said. And they're like, uh, one, <laughs> one of my old saxophone students, uh, was like, you said, um, hearing babies crying in public makes you want to punch them in the face. Uh, this is on record. And I was like, I don't remember saying that it is accurate, but I don't remember saying that in school. It's like, no, no, you, you, yeah. Wow. So I, I can relate to that feeling, but it's more so about like just random things. That I can, I can relate to the babies. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just, I, and I warn people, I was like, did I say this before? Because I talk a lot and I don't remember what I say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Did I, I just, sometimes it's a throwaway comment. Yeah. It's just like, but that's a, why, that's why like everything I say has to be the truth. Otherwise, cause I'm going to forget I said it. So I can't yeah. lie. Yeah. Right. 
I don't know. You know how people like weave such complex stories for themselves? How do they do that? They have to remember so much BS. And it's just like smarter than me. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) Anna Delvey. (laughs) Yeah. I just, Anna Delvey. Is that that one with the lady from uh, uh, Ozarks? I cannot remember her lady. I have not watched that, but that when that uh, show came out, pretty bananas. Oh, I I just like the the accent of the show. Yeah. I yeah. So see uh Ruth go from like I don't know shit about blah to to that. I was like this yeah. is oh yeah, she's an actress. Like she embodied Ruth so much that I thought of her as just Ruth. Uh, that's you know, that's funny is you can you know, like think about an actor with accents and then you think about a freelance musician. Like all the styles are like accents, right? Yeah. So because recently someone, <laughs> I don't know if this is true. It might be true considering the source, but recently someone told me that someone didn't like my playing because, uh, well, they, I think that was just what they didn't like our playing. So they weren't going to use me. Um, and it was like related to me being sort of commercial player. And I was like, one, I study classical music and that's, I don't really think I have a commercial sound. Okay. But two, I didn't ask to sub for you, yo. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but, but they, uh, we learn so many different styles and so many different ways and like ends of notes, fronts of notes, all those things as brass players. And you can't not play all the things like you need to pay your bills. You have to play all the things. So for someone to in, in kind of a higher position and has no clue what I do, has barely ever heard what I play just to like immediately write me off for a gig that I didn't even want. <laughs> are they, <laughs> are really... they the player or are they more of no, the player? Okay. I was yeah. like, uh, at least are they an administrator role? That's always disappointing. I don't know. I feel like there's certain people in any sort of, if they're really big into just like their mm-hmm. idiom can just think that it's very, it's so precious. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, you have to do that. That's how you operate. But for me, I'm like, music is just sound. It's precious to me, but I don't expect anybody to care about this nearly as much as I do. So for me to assume that is kind of silly. I think I've heard a lot that like people equate like your projects and your music to like your baby. And I think the same thought could be thought of with people and their babies. It's like, oh, you care about this baby so much. And, like, if I'm your friend and I love you, I also love this baby. But, mm-hmm. like, if you're – if I just – you're some baby in, uh, like – I don't care about the baby. I don't care about you. Like, you're just some random baby. Like, mm-hmm. get wrecked, dude. Uh, so, like, I can assume the same thing about people their music. If, like, if I admire you, I admire – I might admire your family and your different – I'm looking at CDs while I do this and all the projects that you put together. But if, like, you know – I don't know if I'm not interested, it's okay. I don't have to be. We're not. Yeah. yeah, You know, you build the audience, you build your community and I don't have to be a part of it and say vice versa. Right. But I'm glad I'm part of the, uh, bonegasm like, uh, audience. This is, uh, I'm very excited for this, uh, third album. When does it come out for our listeners? Um, Cause like, I was like, Oh, it's wrap up kind of close to wrap up time. When does this come out? It comes. uh, So we're recording on the 14th. It's coming out on the 20th. Um, oh, it's our, coming out this upcoming Friday. Yeah. 
Okay, I'm editing this tomorrow, and this is going to be Monday's episode then. So, Yay. like, yeah, this is going to be a quick turnaround. I didn't realize it was coming up this upcoming Friday. Yeah, and then we have a gig on October 25th at the Jazz Gallery, two sets. Yeah. And it's our debut, so I'm very excited. Oh, the debut um, at the Jazz Gallery? Mm-hmm. I've played there for years and in this location and the old location, and, uh, you know, um, it, it's such an honor to be chosen to play there because it's a nonprofit. They do a lot of good work, but they also have such an incredible lineup well, all, oh the time. Gosh, all the time. All the time. So I'm I'm very excited, and I hope we hope we live up to the hype. <laughs> um, where's the, oh, and for people who want to find you online, how can they like find Jen Wharton? So I have a personal page on Facebook, of course, because I was not forward thinking and my band page is not nearly as great, but, uh, my personal page is, is up there as Jennifer Wharton. I think it has the picture of the album or no, it's got a picture of me biting my trombone bell. And then, uh, I have a band page on Facebook and I'm also on Instagram, um, Jennifer Wharton, just Jennifer Wharton, no underscores, no dots, no nothing. Jennifer Wharton uh-huh. and, um, a YouTube channel. I've got videos up there. I like to put some behind the scenes stuff. You can find all the dumb videos my husband and I made during the pandemic. <laughs> and I've got some, um, holiday music up there and some live gigs and yeah, it's a really nice Nice collection of stuff. Uh, is a is a bonegasm holiday uh, holiday gasm. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know what's the, I want to come up with the marketing idea. I got it. I got it. Uh, I feel uh, like we 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 are more prepared. Stuff you're talking <laughs> with the bonegasm. Um, I feel like we're more prepared for like a Halloween album. Ooh. You know the bone thing, but but yeah, I you know it's in the noodle. It's, okay. I, I'm an ideas girl. We'll make something happen. (laughs) Well, I really appreciate getting to sit down and talk to you for this hour. I know the last time I saw you, it was like rehearse gig goodbye uh, type of situation. Oh, no, no, no. You came. uh, I saw you earlier in June. Did I see you yeah. earlier in June? Yeah, I saw you earlier in June. You came out to yeah. the side. That wasn't the last time I saw you. In my mind, it was like I saw you. Uh, like I see you out. every night in my dreams. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> that. Okay. So uh, for our listeners at home, thanks for listening. This is just an interview with uh, New York City-based bass trombonist. Uh, you also play tuba too, right? You're not. Yeah. I also yeah. play tenor trombone, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell them. Yeah. Unless okay. they're a Broadway contractor. Don't tell them. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I can bring all three, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big trombone for a book, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with New York based uh, trombonist and low brass uh, specialty person, uh, Jen Wharton. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're a delight. Oh, thanks. And for everyone else at home, stay safe and stay musical. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extra Musical. Extra Musical is a Hidden Cinema Records production. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts and look out for future episodes. Bye for now.